Welcome to the sermon podcast of Southside Baptist Church, a body of Christ located in beautiful Norman Park, Georgia. We are so glad you chose to listen in today. It's our prayer you would find the message of Jesus Christ compelling and uplifting, and that your life would be changing continually from hearing the Word of God. If you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. And now for today's message. Turn with me, if you would, again this morning back to the book of Joshua. Got a few more messages in the book of Joshua, and then we'll, we we will have completed uh, that uh, walk through of that book as well, expositionally, verse by verse. The series again has been the strong and courageous living in a dangerous world, being Joshua chapter twenty-two uh, this morning. Joshua chapter uh, twenty-two, message number uh, seventeen. The title this morning is this: misguided assumptions. Misguided assumptions. We're going to be reading, starting in verse 9 uh, and reading on through uh, verse uh, 20 uh, this morning. So misguided assumptions. So when we live in this uh, this dangerous world, we've got to avoid making assumptions. Uh, because as we'll see this morning, assumptions can be dangerous. Uh, if we're not careful. So if you found that passage, Joshua chapter 24 or 21, <laughs> 22, uh, stand with me if you would in the reading of honor, the honor of God's word, starting in verse, uh, nine there, starting in verse nine. Bible says this, so the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land on which they had possessed themselves uh, by the command of the Lord through Moses. Verse 10, And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan, on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Verse 13, Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and with him ten chiefs one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, and they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not enough uh, sin, uh, enough of the sin of Peor, from which you even yet we have not cleansed ourselves, and from which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord, that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your uh, possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us a rebellion or make us rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. In verse 20, do not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the manner of the devoted things and wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel. And he did not perish alone for his iniquity. Father God, we come to you this morning again, Lord. I pray for hearts that are open and minds that are ready to to receive your word this morning. Again, Father, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth are pleasing to you, Lord. And Father, as we consider 
many of the assumptions that we might make uh, on a daily basis and moving throughout our lives, Father, I pray that we understand that our assumptions can cause problems, and I pray that we avoid uh, those assumptions, Lord, as we'll see in our passage this morning. Father, we love you and praise. It's in Christ's name that we ask all these things once again. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the story is told of an American woman. She observed an elderly woman on the outskirts of Manila. The elderly woman, she looked poverty-stricken. And she walked with the help of a cane down into the ditch alongside a main road. The American woman, observing this woman's activities, she observed the woman struggling and she assumed that this woman needed help. So as the American woman approaches this elderly Filipino woman, the woman began to shake her, her cane at the American, hurling curse words and a barrage of threats. While somewhat unsure of the situation, the American continued to pursue the woman. It was not until she got close enough that, the, that the, she realized her mistake. The woman was not in trouble. She was just attempting to have her daily bathroom visit in peace without the help of an over-anxious do-gooder American. She was going to the bathroom. The lady thought she needed help. So we've got to be careful with our assumptions. We've got to be careful what you and I tend to assume. Now, we have assumptions all day long, y'all. We, we assume things all day long, but we've got to be very careful of the assumptions that we make. And so we see that in our passage this morning. Our assumptions can turn deadly. They can turn very bad in an instance. In fact, uh, if left without further explanation, if left without going out and seeking explanation for the assumptions that we see or that we make, they could have turned brother against brother with deadly results in our passage uh, this morning. Look back with me at chapter 21, verses 43 through 45, and this kind of gives us a, an idea of where we are uh, as the Israelites have gone into the land of Canaan there. They're into the promised land. Verse 43 says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. And not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. So the land had been distributed. The inheritance had been given to the people. They had all uh, dispersed. And, and Joshua had given the people their land. They had gone to their lands and they had settled in the lands. God's promises had been fulfilled. The people had received what God had promised them years and years ago. That they would take over the promised land. The land that they had inherited and, and would, that would be distributed to them. The tribe of Gad, the tribe of Reuben and the half tribe of Manasseh. They had already gotten their inheritance. Their inheritance was not on the west side of the Jordan, but on the east side of the Jordan. And if you remember anything about that history, the reason they chose that land is because they had much livestock. And the land was plentiful for them. There was lots of, of area for the, for the livestock and the pastures to graze. So they had asked for that land and God had given them that land. And so they were there to settle in that land. But on their way back to that land, as they are dismissed and uh, the Lord tells them or, or, or Joshua tells them to go back to their land, what happens was is they build an altar. And that altar, the assumption was that that altar was something other than what it truly was. And so the point this morning is this. The Israelites west of the boundary of the Jordan River, the majority of the Israelites, they assumed the worst when the Israelites on the east built the altar of witness. And so for us, church, this morning, we must avoid. We've got to avoid making assumptions because more times than not, our assumptions do not line up with the truth. And so we need to be very careful about that. So let's look at through, walk through this passage this morning. We'll see some keys, all right, to handling our assumptions. If you have your uh, outline. You can follow along on your outline. Uh, it, it's in the bulletin there. The first key is this. We must resist 
Okay? Resist the temptation to trust solely in our assumptions. To trust solely in our assumptions. So assumptions are those things that we just assume. You may have assumed that when you got up this morning, that when you left to go to church, your car would start. I made that assumption. I made that assumption. I based that assumption on the times that I've gotten in it over and over and over and over and over again. And my car started. I went into my destination and all those other things. You may have made the assumption this morning that when you woke up and you were ready to have breakfast, that there would be food in the refrigerator. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't make that assumption. But you made that assumption based on past experiences. You made that, that assumption based on things that had happened previously that had come through or were fulfilled. But our assumptions, they're based on past experiences. They're based on those experiences that you and I have, whether they're a conscious experience or an unconscious experience. But they're based on things that we have had happen in our lives. And we say, you know what? It happened then, so it's going to happen now. But the problem is, is, is oftentimes there's no truth in those assumptions. Oftentimes we, we find it necessary to make assumptions when those assumptions don't cause, uh, they cause more harm than good. Now some of the things are, are it's, it's okay to assume. You know, it's okay to assume. And if those assumptions don't come true, there's just a minor inconvenience. You know, if my car wouldn't have started this morning, Terry wouldn't have had to ride to church. But it would have just been a minor inconvenience. We have another vehicle. We could have taken that other vehicle. If that didn't have food in the refrigerator, I wouldn't have had breakfast. You may have heard my belly growling this morning, but it would have just been a minor inconvenience. But our assumptions can cause real issues. And we see that this morning in our passage of Scripture. Look with me at verses 9 through 12. The Bible says this, So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land on which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. Verse 10, And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size, the Bible says. And the people of Israel heard it said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. So the people of Israel, the people of of Gad, the people of Reuben, and the people of Manasseh, the half-tribe of Manasseh, as they're moving back towards their area, towards their location, towards the land that they had possessed and they had inherited, they stop and they build an altar. They build an altar. Notice what the Bible says about that altar. It was an altar of imposing size. So what what, what, what that means is, is the people on the west could see the altar. And the people on the east could see the altar. Apparently the altar was huge. It was large enough to be seen on both sides, the east and the west. It was very large. And that was the problem. The people on the west saw the altar. And immediately they just assumed. They just assumed that that altar was built for nefarious reasons. They just assumed that the people of Israel, the, the other group of folks that had gone over to the West, they just assumed that they were doing this for the wrong reasons. Why would they build another altar? Why would they need another altar? So they made the assumption. Notice what the Bible says. And the people of Israel heard it said. They heard it said. Oftentimes our assumptions lead to or, or, or stem from we heard it said, I heard it said this or I heard it said that. And we immediately do what? We make an assumption about what we just heard. And so they had heard it said that the people of Israel, the people of Gad and, and Reuben, and they built an altar. Well, they built an altar. The altar, it was, it was a reality. They heard it said that they had built an altar. And not only did they build the altar, but they built the altar on the side, not their side of the, uh, of the Jordan, not on the east side, but on the west side. On the west side, where the, most of the people of Israel was living. So what could possibly go wrong? 
Well, notice what verse 12 says again. And when the people of Israel heard it, again, they heard it. They heard that the altar was built. They were able to see the altar. They heard it. The whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Shiloh was where the original temple or the altar was. It was where the tabernacle had been set up. The tabernacle was the tent. So Shiloh would have been the place of worship. Joshua chapter 18 verse 1 says, Then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and did what? And set up the tent of meeting there. Now remember, when you think about the tabernacle and the tent of meeting, it represents the presence of God. That's where they would go to worship God. That's where they would go to give their sacrifices. The burnt offerings, the peace offerings, all those things that would happen, would happen in the tent of meeting. It would happen at the tabernacle. So Shiloh was the central sanctuary. It was a central temple. So it was the location of the tabernacle and the tent. So can you see the problem? Can you see what the people on the west are thinking as the people on the east have built this altar? What are they thinking? They're thinking that, wait a minute. Wait a minute, there's a problem here because they're building an altar. We've already got an altar. This is this is the altar. Okay, This is where the presence of God is. They're building another altar. So apparently they're going to sacrifice on their altar, and that's a huge problem. So with that thought of that tabernacle fresh in their minds, and they realize that, listen, Shiloh is where the temple is. Shiloh is not the temple, but the tabernacle. Shiloh is where the altar is. That is where the sacrifices would be given. And so they thought this other altar is going to cause a problem because they're not going to come and sacrifice at this altar. They're not going to come and do what we're supposed to be doing, what God has commanded us to do. Now, this would have been interesting because the altar represented, it literally means, in this passage, it literally means a place of slaughter. So when they thought about that altar, when they thought, they already they already understood the altar at Shiloh, they already understood that, but when they saw another altar, their minds would immediately have went to what? They would have assumed that's another place of slaughter. So it makes sense that they would have had that assumption. The problem is the assumption itself. Because that assumption led the people of Israel, led those on the west, to do what? They wanted to go to war with their brothers and sisters. They wanted to go to war with their countrymen. They wanted to go to war because they assumed, they assumed that they had built this offer, this altar to offer sacrifices to God. When the only altar that we needed to have was the altar there at Shiloh. So they made assumptions. And those assumptions led them to want to make war against their fellow Israelites. Now notice the specifics. Notice the the charge that the people on the west actually charged the people on the east with. Look at verse 16, starting in verse 16. It says, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith? That you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord. Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves and from which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Verse 20, did not Achan the story of Achan, you remember the story of Achan and the son of Zerah break faith in the matter of the devoted things and wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel and he did not perish alone for his iniquity. They assumed, the people on the west assumed that this was a breach of faith. The New American Standard says an unfaithful act. It's mentioned twice. 
They say that, that you have turned away. This breach of faith has caused you to turn away. It's caused you to turn from God. Turn towards your evil ways. Turn from following God. But not only has it caused you to turn away, it caused you to rebel against the Lord. Those are some pretty serious charges. If you remember the, the, the Gadites and the Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had charged them, listen, you have to go over with your countrymen, okay, and you have to help them get rid of the people of the land. Then when I give the land rest, when God gives the land rest, then you can go back to your country, your side of the Jordan, and you can rest there and dwell there. So these people had gone over with their brothers and, and, and helped them to conquer the land. But they said, listen, you are, this is a breach of faith. This is, a, you're turning away from God. You're rebelling against God. There's, this is ultimate treachery. They're accusing their brothers of ultimate treachery directly against the Almighty God. Now, this would have been a legit assumption. Now, think about it. If they had been doing what they thought they were doing, the, the assumption would have been legit. Because this shouldn't have, they shouldn't have done this. The altar was in Shiloh, so this would have been a legitimate assumption. This would have been a legitimate concern for the people on the West. They understood the, the, the issues when they turned from God, the, that, that, that sin of, of Peor there. It's the Baal of Peor. It's back in Numbers chapter 25. Peor was a, Baal, Baal Peor was a local deity that the Moabites worshipped. And you remember the story of Balak and Balaam. But the, the, the point there was the Israelites fell into adultery. They, they began to worship the Baal of Peor. And when they began to worship the Baal of Peor, the plague that the Bible talks about here, God sent a plague on the people of Israel and 24,000 of those people died. Because of their disobedience to the Lord. So they're reminding their fellow countrymen, listen, you remember the, 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 the problem at the Baal of Peor. You remember what God did to us. And so if you continue to do this, God's going to return the favor because of our disobedience. But not only just on you, but he's going to return it on the people of Israel. The sin of Achan, if you remember the story of Achan back in Joshua chapter 7. What happened to Achan? Achan, whenever he took the devoted things, God punished not only Achan, but he punished the people of Israel as well. Remember, the people of Israel got defeated by the little, little, little Ai. And they're reminding their, their countrymen of all these things. Man, this, this breach of faith, this rebellion against God, it's not just going to cost you. It's going to cost the whole nation of Israel. But what a charge that they had put against their countrymen. And even though there was some legitimacy in their assumptions, there still could be an alternative explanation. There still had to be another side of the story. So we have to be very careful with our assumptions. I don't know if any of you remember the Pink Panther. I used to watch the Pink Panther. There was one episode of the Pink Panther, and uh, Professor Clouseau, he goes into this hotel, and he asks the hotel clerk, does your dog bite? Hotel clerk says, no. So, Professor Clouseau, and you know, Professor, he was, he was a little spacey, but he bows down, he, he bows down, he goes, goes down on his knees to, to pet the dog. He says, nice doggy. The dog barks and, he, barks, and he bites him. He bites him on the hand. Clouseau says, I thought you said your dog did not bite. And the hotel clerk said, that's not my dog. He made an assumption that that was her dog. All right, he made an assumption. Proverbs 25, 8 says this, Don't take the matter to court hastily. Otherwise, what will you do afterward if your opponent humiliates you? So we must be very careful, church, to make certain that our assumptions are truly what they appear to be. We must not simply assume what we see. We not, must not simply assume what we hear. Careful or even read is a reality. Because if we're not careful and we simply trust that our assumptions are what they appear to be without further investigation, we're going to respond in haste. And our hasty response could cause us and those around us to get bit. 
And we don't want to get bit. And we don't want anybody around us to get bit either. So we need to be careful. In fact, I recommend not making assumptions. But if you do make an assumption, we need to get to the second key here this morning. We need to request further explanation for our assumptions. We need to request further explanation for our assumptions. Look back with me at verse 13. So then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, and they said to them. So what happens is, They send a delegation. They send a delegation to go and to see, is this a reality? Are you building this altar for sacrificial purposes? And so they send uh, this uh, group of individuals. Had they simply reacted to what they assumed, assumed, War would have broken out. There would have been war between their countrymen had they just assumed, listen, this is what's happening, so let's go get them. They would have been bit. And so would have those who they would have been war against. But they sent a delegation. And the purpose of this delegation was to request further explanation as to why the people felt the need to build the altar in the first place. Maybe there is another explanation. They may have thought. Maybe there is another side of the story. I heard something the other day. I read something the other day. There's actually three sides of the story. There's your side, my side, and the truth. So maybe there is another side to the story. Maybe let's let's go and send this delegation to get to the truth of why they built this altar. Now, Phineas, it mentions Phineas in here, and the the irony of of, of Phineas going was Phineas was the one who stopped the plague at the Bale of Peor. At the Bale of Peor, Phineas was the one that stopped that, that plague with his actions going before God and all those other things. But they send this delegation. And their purpose, again, is to go in the first place. Maybe their intentions weren't uh, to, to, to breach faith with God. Maybe their intentions weren't to rebel against God. But I fear this is where we find ourselves oftentimes. We just trust in our assumptions. We trust that they are what they appear. You read a post on Facebook. What do you do? You assume that's what? It's true. You see somebody's post on Facebook living their best life. Can I remind you of something? Listen, people aren't going to post their junk on Facebook. Most people aren't. So when you see a post on Facebook, it's probably going to be somebody's best life. But we just assumed you get a a text message. And man, I've done this over and over again. You read too much into the text message and I assume something that I shouldn't assume. And so I may respond completely opposite of the way I should respond. But we assume Instagram, Twitter, all those other things, emails. I'm very careful with the emails I send. I'd rather talk to somebody face-to-face as opposed to sending an email or sending a text message or whatever because oftentimes I can read when I'm talking to you face-to-face. All right, I can see your reaction. I can see your, your facial expressions. And I can... Uh, lessen my assumptions as to why you're speaking the way you're speaking. But emails, you can't do that. Text messages, you can't do that. But the problem is, is most times we don't want another explanation. We don't want to be wrong, so we're just going to assume and we're going to go with our assumptions. But the reality is, when we go with our assumptions, we're going to end up realizing that we're wrong because it's, it's, it's something a bad situation is going to be created. We want to justify our assumptions oftentimes. We don't want to be embarrassed. So we just move with our assumptions, move forward with our assumptions. But can I remind you again in this passage, had they just went with their assumptions, people would have died. Their own people would have died. 
They were ready to go to war with their fellow Israelites based on their assumptions of what they had built the altar for. So we've got to be willing to seek out further explanations. Whether that's going personally to that individual, which is really what I like to do, or sending others, sending a delegation, or whatever it may be. But we've got to seek out further explanations. Because oftentimes what we assumed is not the whole story. And so we need to get the whole story so we can make uh, the best uh, decision possible. Look at verses 21 and 23. So we'll see what happens here. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in answer to the heads of the families of Israel. So they go and they send this delegation. They give them their charge. Hey, this is what we think you're doing. And then they give the people of Gad and the people of Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh an opportunity to respond. And they say this, the mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, that's repeated, so that's important. He knows the Lord and let Israel itself know if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings and peace offerings on it may the Lord himself take vengeance may the Lord himself take vengeance so they go and they ask them, they tell them what the charge is, and they say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not true, that's not the reason. First of all, the mighty one, God, God knows. God knows why we built the altar. We know that God knows, but we want you to know as well. John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. That's Jesus. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no and no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. The reason God knew is because God knew their heart. God knew the people's heart. God knew the, the tribe's heart. It wasn't for rebellion. It wasn't a breach of faith against the Lord. It wasn't to offer burnt sacrifices and burnt offerings and grain offerings and all those other things. They said, God knows. The mighty one of Israel knows our heart. But notice what they say. If it is for rebellion, if it is a breach of faith against the Lord, what do they say? Listen, take us out. Take us out. Or even worse, if it is for burnt offerings, that if it is for grain offerings and peace offerings, the Lord himself will take vengeance upon us. So God knew their heart. They were clean in the eyes of God. And because of that, they wanted to also be clean in the eyes of their brothers and sisters and, and cried the nation there of Israel. So they say, but listen, this is, this is, let us, let's be clean in your eyes uh, as well. And so they go on in verse 24 and through 29 to give them the true reason for the altar. It's not for rebellion. It's not for burnt offerings. It's not for, 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 to, for a breach of faith with God. Verse 24, they say, no, but we did it for fear, from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, your people, the, your, you people of Reuben and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifices, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought, if this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we should say, Behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, or sacrifice other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before His tabernacle. 
The reason that they built the altar was to provide witness. Provide witness that those on the east and those on the west were united. It was an altar of unity for the people of Israel. Because they were concerned that if future generations see us on the east, with the boundary of the Jordan in between us, they may ask questions. Okay, well, why are they over there and we're over here? Maybe they're not a part of our group. Maybe they're not a part of our nation. And so they thought for fear of that, we'll build this altar and it'll be an altar of witness. It's an altar of unity to provide unity for the, the nation of Israel. It wasn't for sacrifices. It wasn't to rebel against God. It wasn't for burnt offerings and all those other things. It's just an opportunity to provide a witness between you and us. So that our children can see that and they can think, yeah, they are a part of God. They are a part of the group. And they mention there in verse the end of verse 29, we understand that the tabernacles in Shiloh and we'll continue to go to Shiloh to worship. We'll continue to go to Shiloh to sacrifice. Because that is where we need to go. That is what the God has commanded us. So that purpose of that altar was to bear witness. It was to be a testimony. It was to be visual evidence that the two groups were united. It was to bear witness that the land there was united. The Transjordan area was united. And the tribes of Israel were united. It was a symbol of unity. You see the irony there? The people on the west wanted to go to war. The people on the east wanted unity. Wanted unity. So the altar was for unity. Sworn in. So on a cold January day, a 43-year-old man was sworn in as the chief executive of his country. By his side stood his predecessor, a famous general who 15 years earlier had commanded his nation's armed forces in a war that resulted in the defeat of Germany. The young leader was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. He spent the next five hours watching parades in his honor and stayed up celebrating until three o'clock in the morning. Many of you know or may know who that description is of. It's January the 30th, 1933. And the description was not of John F. Kennedy, which some of you may have thought, but it was of Adolf Hitler. The point is that we oftentimes make assumptions. We make assumptions about the world around us based on sometimes incomplete or false information. In this case, the information that was offered was incomplete. Some of you may have been convinced that it was JFK that was being described there until that one little detail was added. That detail was the date. It's important because our behavior is affected by our assumptions or our perceived truths. We make decisions based on what we think. We think about this. It wasn't too long ago that the majority of people believed the world was what? Flat. The world was flat. This perceived truth impacted their behavior. During this period, there was very little exploration. Nobody wanted to fall off the edge of the earth. So they're not going to go very far. So people feared that if they traveled too far, they would assume they would fall off the edge. So for the most part, they stayed put. It wasn't until that minor detail was revealed. It wasn't until further explanation was given. Namely what? That the world is not flat. The world is round. And so their behaviors changed on a massive scale after they got that additional information. And that additional information came from further explanations, further exploration. So James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, what are you supposed to do? Ask God. Or ask God who gives generously and all without reproach, and it will be given him. So we've got to be careful. To avoid the temptation to take our assumptions at face value. Because again, we we presume things that aren't true. There's usually another side of the story. And so we need to seek further explanation from those who will be able to help us to see beyond what we assume. So finally, the final key of this morning. We need to respond to our assumptions based on this new information. 
based on this new information. Look at verse 30. 30 through 34, when Phinehas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with them, heard the words of the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest and the chiefs, returned from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the, to the land of Gilead, to the land of Canaan, to the people of Israel, and brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God, and they spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had settled. And the people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness. For they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. So once they verified that their assumptions were not what they seemed to be. They made the decision that this is good in our eyes. What you have said is good in our eyes. We know that God is with us because you, there is not a breach of faith. We know that God will not discipline us and judge us because there is no breach of faith. There is no opportunity to go and to offer sacrifices in another altar except the one at Shiloh. So the war was averted at this point, but they used that based on the information and the explanations that they had received, that additional information. That they had received. They had sought that further explanation. And they proved that their assumptions were not what they appeared to be. They got the reason for the altar. It wasn't rebellion against God. It wasn't for sacrifices. It wasn't for uh, a breach of faith. And so once they answered those questions, they were able to respond affirmatively. This is good. This is good in our eyes. What you have done is good in our eyes. But not only that, Phineas and the rest of the group went back to the people of Israel. I mean, Phineas could have kept it to himself. They could have kept it to themselves and went back. But if they'd have kept it to themselves, war would have broken out. But they went back. They went back to the people of God, the other people, the people on the west. They said, it is good in our eyes. They, they'd not done what we thought they were doing. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God. They thanked God and spoke no more of making war against their fellow countrymen to destroy uh, the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The explanation was a good explanation. Maybe they thought to themselves, oh, well, you know what? We didn't think about that. We didn't think that that could have been what you were doing, what you were doing. We just assumed that the altar was a breach of faith. We just assumed that the altar was for sacrifices. We just assumed that there would be rebellion against God. But upon further explanation, we get it. We get it. There's no more assumptions that need to be made. They accepted the, the explanation. They report back. They brought back word to the rest of the people. So we've got to avoid assumptions. We've got to avoid making assumptions. But when we do make assumptions, we've got to seek further explanation. But when we find that further explanation, we just can't camp out on it. We can't hold on to it. We've got to say, okay, yes, I understand it. Move on and let, let other people know who need to know about these, uh, this information that you have found or this further explanation. So all was right with the people. War was averted. And the altar was for witness. The altar was for unity. So we seek further explanations so that we can be certain that our assumptions are what they appear to be. And they're based on fact. They're based on truth. And the information, it will either justify your assumptions or it will correct your assumptions. Either way, you've got to respond. You've got to respond then accordingly. With that new information. Whether your, your assumptions are justified. You can go forward with it. Or they need to be corrected. You need to adjust either way. So this morning as we close. There may be some of you here this morning. Or there may be some of you on 
on the Facebook live feed this morning that, that may have some misguided assumptions. Maybe you assume this morning that you are saved. Maybe that assumption is based on uh, an assumption you made that, that salvation comes through the prayer that you said. Or salvation comes through baptism. Or salvation comes through the aisle that you walked at that church that evening. Or maybe at that, that evangelistic uh, opportunity or that, that tent revival or whatever it might be. Maybe you've assumed for all these years that you're saved because of that prayer. But I don't want you to make the mistake this morning of thinking that prayer saves you. Prayer doesn't save anybody. Jesus Christ saves people. Walking an aisle doesn't save you. Baptism will not save you. The only thing baptism will do is get you wet. But baptism will not save you. What makes a child of God is not that prayer. What makes a child of God is not walking that aisle. What makes a child of God is not that baptism. What makes one a child of God is when we recognize that we're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when we recognize that, we recognize that, you know what? Because I am a sinner, my sin separates me from a relationship with God. I can't save myself. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death because of my sin, because of my separation from God. The wages of that, what I deserve, is death. We're all going to die physically, but what Paul's referring to there is that spiritual death, that spiritual separation from God for all of eternity. And so once we realize that we're a sinner, once we understand that that our sin separates us from God and that relationship with Lord, and that we can't save ourselves, we then must confess our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ because it is through Christ that you and I are saved. Through Christ. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says this, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I want to encourage you this morning. Listen, don't make the assumption that you're saved. If you've never confessed your sins, if you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, don't take my word for it. Take the Bible's word for it. You are not saved. Maybe you're here this morning and, man, you have put your faith and trust in Christ. Maybe you've, you've done all those things that you needed to do and, and you walk with Jesus today and you know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But maybe, maybe you've made the assumption that that's all you need to do. I know I'm saved. I'm certain that I'm saved. But that transformation in our lives, church, leads us to live our lives for the Lord. To produce fruit parallel to that salvation experience. So maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus Christ and praise God for that. But you may have assumed that, listen, once I make that profession of faith, that's all I got to do. Sit back and enjoy the ride. That's not all you got to do. God calls us to, Paul calls us to work out our salvation with what? Fear and trembling. That's part of our lives. When we get saved, we work out our salvation. That's that progressive sanctification that Bible talks about. As we grow and grow, all that means is that we grow more closer, more close to Christ. We grow more and more like Jesus. So I don't know. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've made those assumptions. Either way, maybe you've assumed you have a salvation experience with Jesus Christ. Maybe you assume that, that, that you, you've, you've made that profession of faith and you know you've made that profession of faith, but maybe you've assumed that there's nothing else required of you. I don't know. But I've given you further explanation. I've given you further explanation. So now, 
The question is, how will you respond? Let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is the way, the only way. Father, we thank you that, that we have an opportunity. We make assumptions every day, Lord. We, we assume all sorts of different things, Father. But I pray that we don't assume that we're saved and we're really not. I pray that we don't uh, assume that because we are followers of Jesus Christ, we just sit soaking sour. Because that's not what we're called. We don't. So Lord, I pray that, that maybe we just assume that, that we don't we want to be a part of a church. We don't need to have membership in a church. I, I don't know what, what assumptions are being made here this morning, Lord. But I pray that as we seek guidance, as, as your, heart conv- or the, your, your spirit convicts the hearts in this room and those on Facebook as well. Father, I pray that we set aside those assumptions. And if we've made assumptions that we're saved and we're truly not, Father, I pray that we... We, we get right with that today. Lord, I pray that if we're Christians and we have made that profession of faith, but we just assume that we can just skate through life to just, just the way it is. I pray that we get that assumption out of the way today as well. Father, whatever decisions need to be made today, I pray that they're made. How are we going to respond to the assumptions that we've made? Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. We hope the word preached today would be used by God mightily as you go about your week. Again, if you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. Have a blessed day and may God grant you grace this week to grow more into the likeness of Jesus.